This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on the text, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 13, the parable of the wedding feast. This was preached on the 20th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast, which really just means listening to more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This, Luther, this sermon is from Luther's House Postal. I'm reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher of Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, text and translation that's in the public domain. First, the Gospel reading, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 13. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore unto the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So far the Gospel lesson. Luther's Sermon in the gospel lesson for today, the kingdom of God is likened unto a marriage, a marriage to which guests are invited who do not merely stay away and despise the marriage, but some of them even insult and slay the servants who were sent to inform them of so glorious a marriage and to invite and beg them to come and to partake of it. Here we should first of all learn to understand the word kingdom of heaven. That is no kingdom on earth, but a kingdom in heaven in which God himself is king. We also call it the Christian church here upon earth. The Lord uses this parable of the marriage because the Lord Jesus, the son of the king, chooses the church as his bride. Hence we say the kingdom of heaven is also upon earth and yet is not a worldly and temporal but a spiritual and eternal kingdom. We Christians here upon earth are already more than half in the kingdom of heaven to wit as to the soul and spirit yet as it is by faith. Therefore, Whenever you hear of the kingdom of heaven, you should not merely gaze up to heaven, but look around you upon the earth and seek it among the people in the whole world where the gospel is taught and Christ is believed in and the sacraments are properly used. The kingdom of heaven, in plain language, is the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the gospel and of faith. For wherever the gospel is, there Christ is also. And where Christ is, there is the Holy Ghost also and his kingdom, the true kingdom of heaven. And all who have the word and sacraments and believe and remain in Christ by faith are heavenly princes and children of God. All that remains to be done is that God remove the partition which still separates us, that is, that we die. Then all will be heaven and salvation. 
Learn to understand then, in the first place, that the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus and is to be found wherever the word and faith are. In this kingdom, we have life and hope and are, according to the word and faith, cleansed from all sin and delivered from death and hell, notwithstanding the old Adam and the corruption of the flesh. The old Adam has not yet been destroyed and the sinful flesh has not been put away. This must yet be done. Then there shall be nothing but life, righteousness, and salvation. To such a marriage, Christ says, God, by his holy prophets, called and invited his people, the Jews, before Christ had come. The main duty of their office was to direct the Jews to wait for this marriage. That is, they assured the people that the Son of God would become man and by his death would pay for the sins of the whole world and by his resurrection destroy the kingdom of the devil and his power. And that afterwards he would send the gospel unto all the world and have preached to everyone forgiveness of sins and eternal life in his name. By such blessed preaching, the holy prophets directed the people to wait, be comforted, and to hope forgiveness of all sins and eternal life through Christ. But Christ tells us here, they would not come. They were like the Jews in the wilderness when they wished themselves back into Egypt. Afterward, when the time was near that Christ should come and be heard in his preaching and to be seen in his miracles, he sent other servants. There were John and the disciples of Christ who said, The wedding is ready and all that is needed is that people put aside everything else and clothe and prepare themselves for the wedding. But it was in vain. They made light of it, the Lord says. They went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, etc. Miserable are those who, for the sake of their farms or merchandise, despise the feast, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life, and yet expect a farewell, else they would not miss the feast on account of their farms and merchandise. But the precious gospel never fares any better. Whenever it is brought among the people, the scene changes. The world becomes more wicked than before, and everyone prefers his temporal engagements. In this they are so absorbed that they have no time for anything else. This, however, has been predicted. Therefore, let no one be offended on the account of the world when we see that in town and country all are shamefully given to avarice, pride, and self-conceit, and that they treat their pastors who invite them to the marriage feast more rudely and roughly than their servants. This should not offend anyone or lead him to think that people do well when they attend to their farms or merchandise. I will follow their example. By no means. For our God is a kind host who can well afford to wait a while for settlement, yet he does not on that account cancel your bills. Now he suffers people in towns and in the country to have their own way, to despise the gospel and all faithful admonition and doctrine, to accumulate money and to hold at unreasonable prices all that one needs, such as wood, grain, butter, and eggs. But when today or tomorrow he comes with a pestilence to call them away in large numbers, or with war when soldiers come and take what they find and give you blows besides, and if they do not strangle you, they abuse your wife and children and let you witness it and cry and lament, Ah, God's visitation is heavy upon us. Then it will be seen whether God was pleased with your avarice, presumption, and pride. Then it will be said, If you were before given to avarice, pride, vanity, and wantonness, and despised my word, do not complain now, look back upon your past record. You have lived sumptuously long enough. The time has come when you should pay. You must stand good for it with your life. This will be the end of it. It is best, therefore, to leave off in time and to repent, to which also we are continually admonished by the word. It would just suit us if we might despise the word of God and do as we please without being called to account. Yes, this kind of living people would like to have introduced. Our lesson continues. 
some that were bidden, took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. In these words the Lord has reference especially to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who killed the prophets, and at last even the Son of God. But what was the consequence? The king was wroth, and sent forth his armies, the Romans. They had to serve him, and to destroy the murderers, and burn their city. The Jews were treated so shamefully that they were sold cheaper than sparrows, thirty for a farthing. A pitiful crying and lamentation was heard, that God in heaven might have been moved, but it had, it had to come to this. They had been carousing long enough and had been taught in vain. They now had to pay for it. Now God did not want to hear them either. Beware of this. We have faults enough without this, on account of which the Lord our God is justly displeased. Anger, impatience, avarice, worldly care, incontinence, lewdness, hatred, and other vices are shameful sins unto death, which prevail in the world everywhere. Yet such sins are nothing when compared to the sin of despising the word of God, which is so great and so common that even avarice, theft, adultery, etc. are not as prevalent. And these sins would be less frequent if we would love the word of God as we should. But alas, we find the contrary. Almost everybody, both high and low, disregards the precious word and feels an aversion and horror for it. This we observe during the preaching. One looks hither and another thither, and among a large gathering there are very few who profit by the preaching of the word. And besides the lamentable fact that this sin is so very common, it is a terrible, hellish, and devilish sin because it is not recognized like other sins. Everybody considers it a small thing to hear preaching without paying attention to it. Most of the people go their way, presuming that wine will taste well during preaching as at any other time. Most of them are altogether indifferent, nor is anyone troubled in his conscience for putting so low an estimate upon the precious word. This is not the case as it regards other sins, such as murder, adultery, and theft. These will be followed, sooner or later, by regret for having committed such a sin, and nobody will consider it to be right. But for being careless in hearing the word, yea, for despising and persecuting it, no one feels remorse. Therefore, it is such a terrible sin on account of which people and countries must at last be destroyed. Because this sin is not acknowledged, no repentance and amendment of life can follow. This has been experienced by the city of Jerusalem and other kingdoms. The turn will also come for Germany. The voice of this sin crieth always towards heaven, and will move God to become angry and to say, I have given you, my dear son, my highest and dearest treasure. I endeavored to speak to you and to teach and instruct you for eternal life, but I have none who will listen to me. Therefore I am compelled to punish. As the Lord himself testifies, John chapter 3, This is the condemnation, that the light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. That is as much as to say, I would gladly overlook all other sins, but here is the condemnation which causes the ruin of the world. I have sent my word, but they do not care for it. This displeases me above all. They are very sinful, and I would gladly cleanse them from all sins by my word, but they will not. Yet if they will not hear my word, but hear the word of the devil, I cannot help it, but they must take the consequences. This has been the experience of the Christians in the East, in the large and beautiful countries which are now subdued by the Turks. Hungary has almost met the same fate. Neither are we Germans and other nations willing to hear the gospel or to suffer it. Therefore we must hear and endure the sects of the devil, the Anabaptists and abusers of the sacraments, 
This is inevitable when the word of God is despised and not observed, which is the principal and greatest of all sins, and which therefore deserves the severest and greatest punishment. Our Lord God would desire that we should fall down on our knees on account of it, to write it in golden letters, not merely in books, but into the hearts. This the children of the world do not like. They can hardly suffer it to be written in books or to have it proclaimed in the pulpit. They prefer the devil in the heart, who also governs them to their satisfaction. Be warned, therefore. God has sufficient reason to be angry and to punish on account of other sins, but the sin of despising his word and of abusing those who invite us to the heavenly marriage and the feast exceeds all other sins. Let him, therefore, who commits this sin learn to be convinced that he is not involved in a trifling sin, but in the most heinous and greatest of all sins which God can suffer the least and which he has to punish most severely. Everyone is now complaining of the great unfaithfulness and avarice prevailing in the world. This cannot always escape punishment, but to have the gospel and yet continue to sleep, not to esteem Christian doctrine ourselves nor induce others to embrace it. During the hour of preaching to lounge about the marketplace or outside the city in saloons or gambling houses, this is indeed the greatest of all sins. God will certainly punish it severely by sending errors and fastidious spirits and by suffering war and other plagues to rage powerfully and to destroy people in great numbers, as has been the case in Greece and other countries. There Mohammed now reigns, who teaches the people to believe in the dirt of the devil, whilst before they had the word of God but despised it. The same has been the case in the papacy. There the doctrine was pure and right at first, but when people acted foolish and unthankful in reference to it, the punishment of God came and we hastened into cloisters and mortified ourselves there in the devil's name. Instead of believing in divine truth, we believed in all kinds of gross, hurtful, shameful, and blasphemous lies. The troubles are again coming, for this sin must be punished bodily and spiritually, as the devil causes the Arians and Anabaptist sacraments to arise in the church. Why do the people not adhere to the word, nor receive it with gratitude? If you love your own soul's salvation, beware of such sins, but rather honor the word of God and hear it diligently and cheerfully. If we had no other reason to do so, it should be enough for us to know that God has commanded it and that by so doing we love and serve him. It is certainly no small thing to serve such a great Lord. He can reward us bountifully. Every Christian should be engaged in God's service and argue in this way. Inasmuch as my God and Lord wants me to hear his word, I will cheerfully render him the service in order that I may glorify in the fact that I once served my God for a day or an hour. This should be sufficient to induce us to hold to the word. But still, there are other and greater reasons, for God promises you, saying, If you diligently hear my word and keep it, you shall be a lord of the devil, so that he will have to flee from you and not come near you. And where my word is, there I am also. And where I am, there the devil has no room, but must flee. Moreover, you shall have the benefit of having your sins forgiven, and of being prepared for true devotion and obedience. In short, my word shall bring you on the way to heaven and lead you to eternal life, for I bid you to serve me, but the benefit of this shall mostly be yours. You are obliged at any rate to do what I command you, but now I ask of you a service, the benefit of which shall be mostly yours, as we experience when after a while we resort again to the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, 
that we can always learn and discover something which we did not know before. And one benefit it always affords, the devil will not remain with you, nor harm you. Hence, no Christian should consider himself so learned as to know all about the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments. Whenever he is annoyed by such thoughts, he should dispel them and say, If I have prayed it today, I will pray it again. You will thus drive away sin and the devil and render service to God. Otherwise, you will displease the Lord your God. And who would be guilty of causing such a great Lord to be angry? But, alas, most of the people value the word less than nothing. If, therefore, today or tomorrow we are visited by pestilence or war, God will not assist you either. He will suffer you to lament and to cry in vain in the same way as you now suffer him to cry. As we read in Proverbs 1, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof, etc. Thus severely shall this sin be punished. If therefore at some future time the punishment for such rejection of the word of God and such ingratitude shall be upon you, and your head is bloody, God will laugh at you and say, Serves you right. You have not deserved anything else. I preached unto you in all sincerity, but you did not want to hear me. Therefore you may now hear the devil. If you will not hear him who says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, then you may hear the executioner, who shall heap all curses upon you and run a dagger through your body. This is then serving you right, for why do you despise the word of God, which you should hear and embrace as the greatest treasure? But you hasten to your field and are engaged here and there, so that you do not attend the preaching of the word. Do you suppose that by so doing you do not displease God? He has given you six days for labor and the earning of your bread. He claims only the seventh day in which you should serve him for his honor and your own good. And yet he shall not even have this. Hence we should take to heart the earnest preaching of the Lord against the Jews, who despised the marriage, that is, the preaching of the Holy Gospel, and mocked and murdered the servants. From this we learn that the king will not suffer such ingratitude and contempt. He sends forth his armies, the Romans, to destroy those murderers and to burn their city. Who can here accuse God of having dealt unjustly? Suppose a powerful prince has a son whom he sends to liberate some prisoners, and suppose these prisoners arise and do not receive him with joy, but kill him and mock the father besides, do you think the father would laugh at such conduct? He would rather demolish the prison with the prisoners and would be right in doing it. So God does. He sends his Son to deliver us from sin, death, and the devil, and to give us eternal life. Therefore it is becoming that we receive him with great joy and all honors, accept his word, and believe in him. But as it is, we turn our backs on him, despise his word and the counsel, and help which he offers, and go out to our fields and merchandise which we greatly prefer. But if at some time we are overtaken by thundering and lightning, pestilence, the Turks, executioners, or any other calamity, and we dolefully complain, howl, and cry in our anguish, and still find no help, 
then we may take and suffer all as well deserved, because we have been ungrateful to God who has given us his blessed word pure and richly in these latter evil times, in which faith and the knowledge of Christ is well nigh extinct, and besides have most shamefully rejected all. That will be a just reckoning. And we may now be satisfied that God does not at once visit us with hellfire, but by external punishment calls us to repent and to amend our ways. This is meant when the evangelist says, The king sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. It also serves for our warning that we may not be offended at the common mass of people in city and in country, nor follow their bad example. We cannot expect anything else of the children of this world. They do not want the word of God, but prefer their farms and merchandise. But woe unto them! The judgment which will follow we learn from the Jews. Therefore let us not follow their example, but love to hear the word with all diligence. And especially let us, for the Lord's sake who sent them, love and esteem the servants who bid us come to the marriage. Then God will be with us in every distress, shield and help us, and at last give us eternal life for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ, our dear Bridegroom. So much concerning the first part about the Jews who have passed away. Now let us proceed in pointing to the experience of the heathen. They were outside the city on the highways and had no law or nor word of God like the Jews. They were not protected by a wall but were exposed in open fields in which the devil could move and fr to and fro at pleasure. These the king also orders to be invited, man and wife, young and old, rich and poor, without any distinction. So we still see today that God has placed before us his holy baptism, his word, and the holy supper to be imparted to everyone who wishes. This call, therefore, is nothing else than that Christ is preached to us all, and that we are brought to holy baptism in order that we may be guests, eat and drink, that is, have forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and victory over hell and the devil. Thus are we heathens called to this supper. When the room at the table was filled, there were evil and good invited. As is evident from the statement, the king came in to see the guests, and he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Among Christians we always discover a mixture. Some are evil, but some still have the name and are called Christians because they are baptized, partake of the Lord's Supper, and go to hear the preaching of the word, and yet have nothing but the name and do not consider the word to be true. To this we must accustom ourselves. We will never convert a whole city, village, or house by preaching, but as is here written, gather together both bad and good. This we must comply with and suffer all to be called Christians. And though they are not pious, yet they are invited guests. This will continue to be so until the last day when there will be found a different judgment. But at the same time, it has surely been determined that this king shall not merely have all invited into the marriage of his son, but also that he will see whether those who have been called have dressed themselves in honor of the bridegroom. If a sooty person coming from a sledge or from the smithy in a gown and bathing cap with beard and face besmirched, though he were bidden to the wedding, would join the guests and enter the procession, no one would want to walk by his side. Everyone, and especially the bridegroom, would take him to be out of his senses or that he intended to mock him. To a wedding, one ought to come decently dressed. Thus the Lord says it will be here. Though you are an invited guest, that is, you are baptized, hear the preaching of the word, partake of the sacrament, yet if you have no wedding garment on, that is, you believe not and are not in earnest, but bear your Christian name like the Pope and his followers, in order that you may feed your body and hold good positions, you are no Christian, and do not care for your soul's salvation. If you were, you would make better use of the word. 
Do not suppose that you will pass with the rest. The king will notice you and call upon you, either at the last day or at your death, and say, Do I find you here calling yourself a Christian, and yet not believing what a Christian should believe? Never in your life have you been anxious to be delivered from sin and to be eternally saved. All your thoughts have altogether been directed upon temporal goods, honor, sumptuous living, etc. Hence you appear now like a sooty guest. Therefore, away with you. You do not belong to those who have on a wedding garment. They might be defiled by you. When such vile Christians are thus spoken to, either by their own conscience or at the last day of judgment, they become, as the Lord says, speechless. That is, they are not able to offer any excuse. For wherewith would they be able to excuse themselves? God has done his part. He has given you holy baptism and has brought you near and to your home the precious gospel, so also the absolution and the blessed supper. In the church he has ordained for you his servants, and in the family he has appointed father and mother, master and mistress, to tell you what to believe and how to live. Therefore you cannot say that you were ignorant, else you would have believed. You will have to confess. It is true. I have been baptized. I have been preached and spoken to often. But I did not listen. I preferred the world. This is meant by the guest having no wedding garment on, becoming speechless. For who would be able to answer the judge, of whom we must ourselves testify, that he has given us his Son and has offered us all grace in baptism and the Holy Gospel? It is our fault only that we do not stretch forth our hands and accept what he gladly offers. Hence the terrible judgment upon unbelieving Christians must follow. Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is, they must be captives forever with the devil in hell. For their hands and feet are bound, and they shall not be able to loose themselves by their own works. Besides, they are in outer darkness and are separated from the light of God and from all comfort and are doomed to eternal anguish, horror, and sorrow, and will never be permitted to see a spark of divine light. It is a terrible calamity, which we ought to take to heart, to lie captive in hell and in torment, where there is nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth, gnashing of teeth on account of severe cold, and weeping on account of great heat, as our old teachers have explained it. The Lord, however, by these terms, indicates every conceivable torment, for heat and colder two of the greatest plagues here upon earth. It is as though he would say, you shall have to suffer more than can be expressed by words or conceived by thoughts. Such will be the punishment. For not having improved the time of visitation, for not having accepted the invitation, and for having had the gospel, absolution, baptism, and the Holy Supper without having believed in them or used them for our good, the Lord is anxious to teach us to enable us to realize the beautiful grace of being invited to such a blessed feast which offers deliverance from sin, death, the devil, and eternal woe. Whoever, therefore, will not gratefully accept this offer, but rather despise God's grace, shall in its place have eternal death, either one or the other, either the acceptance of the gospel, faith, and salvation, or unbelief and eternal damnation. Our gospel lesson perfectly agrees with the words of St. Paul when he tells the Jews, Acts 18, Your blood be upon your heads. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. When the Jews refused to hear, God destroyed them and sent his gospel to us Gentiles. 
And as the gospel has come to us, we should take great care, lest that come to pass in us, which is here written, that God will single out and remove the guests having on no wedding garment. Would to God that by kind invitations and threatenings we would be induced to consider the gospel our highest treasure, and that we would gladly hear and believe it. By promises and grace he invites us, and by great judgments he threatens us. When these two will not accomplish anything, then the devil will. If God would turn rain into money and make us great lords, there would be no lack of people to come and preservingly strike, strive to obtain a portion from him. But because he promised us eternal life and heavenly gifts in his word, for which we have to hope and to wait patiently, they are very insignificant in the eyes of the world. They say, What do I care for heaven? Give me bread. Who knows what heaven has in store? The substance of our sermon today is this. The Lord would entice us and threaten us that we might embrace the word in all sincerity and believe it, and thus hope for the joyous future when he will return at the last day to deliver us from all suffering and to help us bodily and spiritually. May Almighty God, our gracious Father, grant it through Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's sermon on Matthew 22, verses 1 to 13, the parable of the kingdom uh, as a wedding feast, preached on the 20th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. To listen to more Luther sermons, uh, go to our website at www.hope-aurora.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast and receive it in iTunes or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Again, that website is www.hope-aurora.org and look for the button that says Martin Luther Sermon Podcast. Thank you.